0: All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up, turn them on to Romans chapter 12. I know a lot of you guys were out last week with Christmas, but we began a new series last week called Live It, and what we're doing is we're, we're working our way through the chapter, Romans chapter 12. If you know anything about the book of Romans, in the first 11 chapters, Paul lays out for us what is the gospel, and he really swims the depths of theology there. It's, it's very deep reading. Uh, as he gets to chapter 12, he begins with this word, therefore, and there's a transition point as he begins to talk about, all right, because of all that God has done for us, therefore present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. So basically, what Paul is transitioning to is he's saying, because of the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done for us, therefore go out and live it and so he embarks in this chapter that's one of the most practical chapters in the entire Bible. if you want to know what is Christianity supposed to look like? how am I supposed to act? what is the end goal, uh, read this chapter because it's just so very very practical for us and so last week we looked at what it meant to be a living sacrifice and today, we're going to dive into the subject of spiritual gifts and how, uh, as a church, uh, there we are many parts, but we are one body, we are one family, and we come to the church with different experiences, different passions, different gifts, but God calls us together to use those gifts for His glory. So look with me in verse 3 of chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than Then he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Gary Smalley is a relationship expert, and he did a study not too long ago called Making Love Last Forever, and in that study, he talked about four different personality types, and he associated each type with an animal. And so he said, some of us, our main personality type, we're kind of like an otter. We're always happy. Uh, we love people. Uh, we we inspire. We motivate. Uh, we we enjoy conversations. In fact, we fill energy after having been around other folks, and, and otters can can sell anything to anybody. I mean, they're natural salespeople, and for many people, uh, that's just your natural personality. Do we have any otters in the house today? Any otters? I'm, I'm naturally, that's my major personality type, is is the otter. But then he had the second one, which was the lion. And he said the lion also enjoys people, is pretty extroverted, but they're also uh, a little bit more no-nonsense. In fact, they're the one that when the game's on the line, they're like, Coach, give me the ball because I'm going to run them over. And sometimes the lion does really well in business. People can count on you. Uh, You're a very capable individual. You may not always be soft and cuddly, but you're very capable and competent of getting things done. And so some of us in the room today, our natural personality type is we're a lion. And then he said there's a third type called the beaver. And the beaver is a little bit more behind the scenes. You you don't really like to be up on stage, but, but you're not... Uh, totally, uh, uh, you know, away from people, but, but you, uh, you're very organized, very task-driven. You're always working. You're always doing something, uh, always making sure that you're conscientious of other people's feelings and always helping people kind of take the steps that they need to get things done, a beaver personality. And then he had a fourth one called the golden retriever. And the Golden Retriever is a little bit more introverted, but the Golden Retriever is very likable. People enjoy being around the Golden Retriever. They're kind of a stabilizer within society. Whenever everything's in chaos, the Golden Retriever just brings calm, uh, very family-oriented. And so Smalley said that basically uh, your, your personality type takes on one of those as a dominant, and then you may have some others that are a little bit more complementary. And he said in marriage, usually opposites attract. And so you'll have like an otter Who will be attracted to a beaver or or a golden retriever. In fact, in y'all's marriage, how many of you would say uh, we're opposites attract? Our personality types are definitely different. Yeah, I see some hands like shooting up and I see the the introverts like holding the extroverts' hands down, you know. That that, that's how it's working. But yeah, you have these opposites attracts. And then he said, Now what occurs is the very thing that attracts you to each other and, and the compliments that you bring into marriage, those are also the things that bring with it conflict because you're different, but for you to have a a happy home, you have to enjoy, you have to learn to appreciate each other. I I see this in in my own marriage. Stacy and me have different personality types. I'm an otter slash beaver, and and she's more um, uh, beaver slash golden retriever with a touch of lion. Okay? And so uh, a year into our marriage, we took our first trip where we really traveled somewhere together, and we decided to go to Disney World. Now, when we got to Disney World, I was like, hey, let's go, 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 go. I want to see everything, kind of experience it on the fly. But, you know, we don't get to do this all the time, so I want to make sure that I can take everything in while I'm here. And she, on the other hand, was more like, I want to know where I'm going. It's okay for me to go slow and just take things in. If we don't see it all, that's okay as long as I enjoy what I'm doing right now. And here's where we had this, like, major disconnect because every couple of days she wanted to take a do-nothing day. That was a day where you just stood at the ho- stayed at the hotel and hung out by the pool and just kind of did nothing. And I was like, "Seriously, you're on vacation and you're going to do do nothing on vacation?" I mean, that was like a foreign concept to me. And so we had to kind of work through that. And I'm glad to say we've been married now 17 years, and so we never fight anymore, ever. You know, uh, you know. So we we worked through it together. Uh, but but you know, for for me, I had to learn that that she complimented me there because she slowed me down and helped me to realize part of vacation is just relaxing. And then for her, I helped her kind of get out there and experience things and, and take in more. And together we we were complimenting each other. And Smalley says, if you want to have a happy marriage, if you want to have a happy family, you have to learn to appreciate one another's strengths and, and to realize that those people in your family, in your life They compliment you and they help you be a a stronger person. Well, the same thing is true in a church. To have a happy church, we have to appreciate one another. We have to realize that we come to church with different backgrounds, sometimes different cultures. We come into church with different spiritual gifts, different personalities. And yet God calls us all together into a church. We are many parts but one body. Look at verse 3 again, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now if you zero in on verse 3, Paul tells us, don't think of yourself more highly than you should, but realize that everybody else has been given a gift or a measure of the faith that you can enjoy and that you should appreciate as well. So in verse 3, he's telling us that we need to avoid the ride of pride. All of us from time to time go on the ride of pride. I think rarely do we realize just how devastating it can truly be. Pride is a home wrecker. Pride is a church splitter. Pride is to relationships what cancer is to the body. Pride causes me to close my heart. When I'm in the grip of pride, I don't open my heart to intimacy. I don't open my heart to love. I close myself off. I build a fortress around me, and I try to protect myself through my pride. Pride causes me to manipulate people. I try to manage other people for my gain. Pride causes me to grow deaf. Whenever I'm caught in pride, I don't hear what the other person is saying. I only hear what I'm about to say. I only hear what I want to say. And so I don't even hear the person or the people that are talking to me. Let me introduce you to some folks that are on the ride of pride. First of all, there's Velma Vanity. And Velma Vanity uh, thinks that the world revolves around her looks. Now, there's nothing wrong with trying to be attractive or trying to be physically fit. But for Velma, she finds her entire identity in the way that she looks, and she thinks that that's all that life has to offer. Then there's Eddie Entitlement. Eddie's a slacker, and he basically thinks that the world owes him success. And so he doesn't get out there... And do anything because in his pride he thinks everybody uh, owes him a life. And then there's Ronnie Reverse, and Ronnie's a little bit subtle in his pride. He's kind of a reverse snob. He looks down on those that are successful. He looks down on those that um, have accomplished something in their life. And he uses false guilt and false humility. He uses those things to manipulate and to try to make himself look better. And then there's Ned Name Dropper. Ned Name Dropper is always going around trying to make himself look better by dropping names. And every conversation that he has with you, he has to tell you about the celebrities that he met. Like, I hung out the other day with Lash and the Pallbearers and things like that. And he's just always dropping these names on you. And then there's Mickey Materialism. And Mickey Materialism, he tries to validate his life by the things that he buys. And he feels like... He forms his identity by the collection of stuff that he has. All of us, at some level, are dealing with, wrestling with pride. The antidote to pride is grace. and our faith, Christianity is grounded in grace. And grace brings with it two things that we desperately need. I could talk on grace all day, but let me talk about these two things first of all grace brings with it forgiveness there is a common denominator of being alive and that is that we all have been hurt and we all hurt people every one of us have done things that we shouldn't do we've said things that we shouldn't say we've rebelled against things rather than submitting to God's plan for our life all of us are in need of forgiveness. And so through grace, God brings to us his forgiveness. In many world religions, forgiveness is found through your performance. If you can be good enough, if you can be pious enough, then the deity will extend to you forgiveness. In Christianity, forgiveness is found through an act of God, through the gracious acts of God in sending his son. And whenever I realize that grace is what our faith is built upon, then it frees me because I am forgiven for the things that I have done in the past. I have meaning and purpose today, and I have hope for all eternity because just as I was in the grip of pride before, I am now in the grip of grace, and I am God's forever and ever. So grace brings to me forgiveness, but grace also brings to me identity. And here's the struggle with pride is we're trying to present an identity to somebody. We want people to view us in a certain way, and so all those people that I described, they're all trying to get people to look at them in a in a certain fashion. That's what pride does. But in grace, I realize my identity is found in Christ. Because, as Romans six teaches us, we're baptized into Christ whenever we become a believer, and so God sees us in Christ. The scriptures talk about adorning yourself or clothing yourself in Christ. So your identity becomes: I'm a child of God, and I am I'm a Christian, and Christ becomes our identity, and, and we measure our success not through the size of our bank accounts or by how much we can bench press. And by the way, men, everybody always lies about that anyway. But, we, we, you know, we, we, we stop measuring our success in that way, and instead we start measuring our success in, in terms of what Christ has done for me and who he is and, and what he's doing in the world and how I can be a part of that and how my life can truly be significant and make an eternal Difference. The antidote to pride is grace. And so our Holy Scriptures teach me not to think of myself more highly than I should, but instead to realize that God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, what this means is that we need to love one another. We need one another. This means that as a church, We are in this together. Don McMinn, in his book, The 11th Commandment, identifies 35 times in the New Testament where you find the words one another with an action verb in front of it. And so he says in the New Testament, the Bible tells us to prefer one another, accept one another, greet one another, encourage one another Comfort one another, forgive one another, admonish one another, wait for one another, pray for one another, rejoice with one another, offer hospitality to one another, be kind to one another, honor one another, confess sins to one another, be devoted to one another, carry one another's burdens. It's all through the New Testament that Christianity is not a solo sport, Christianity is a team sport, that Christianity is to be lived in community, that we need one another, and that God brings brings believers together uh, because we complement each other and we're in need of this and we have to learn to love one another even though we're not all exactly the same. Verse 4 says, now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, Paul is talking here about the church. And this basic concept that we've already identified that as a church, we are many parts, but one body. Do you realize that Jesus only organized one movement? People were always trying to get Jesus to be a political activist. They were trying to get him to speak out against Rome and various things like that. Uh, Jesus was more concerned with the spiritual, and he really organized one specific movement, and that was the church he called his disciples together. He told them, I'm ascending to heaven. You're to go and make disciples. And so the disciples began dispersing around the world, making disciples. They were to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as baptized uh, believers would come together, they would form local congregations. That church even came across the oceans. And right here where you are, this is part of the movement that Jesus organized called the church. Now, I I have grown up in church all my life. My dad is a pastor. Uh, he's now 76 years old. He's been a pastor since age 22. So, you know, I, I grew up running the halls of the church and writing my name in macaroni in the children's church crafts and all that good stuff like that. And so I, I've seen a lot in my lifetime in church. And I understand this about church. It's imperfect. It's not always squeaky clean. There's relationships, and sometimes uh, we go through swampy land together, and there's a temptation that people have to abandon church and just worship God as an individual. I still love God. I just don't love his church. The problem with that, though, is that the church was Jesus' idea. And as you begin to read the New Testament, you understand that Christianity is not just to be lived out in isolation, but Christianity is to be lived out in community with one another. That's why Jesus told his disciples, go and teach one another what it means to obey everything that I have taught you, because it's not just merely conveying information but it's actually living life together and experiencing what it means to teach one another this is what it looks like. This is how Christianity is lived out. So there's this growing number within the United States of what uh, we in church world call the duns, those people that have been to church and they just came to this conclusion at some point, well, okay, now I'm done with it. And and I want to encourage you with everything in my being don't become a done because the church is jesus idea and when you abandon the church and you just try to live out your faith all by yourself you frequently fall into a narcissistic christianity where it's all about you and you fail to realize that god has blessed you with gifts that are to be invested into the lives of others and invested into his church and invested into the community because you can be significant with the personality that you have With the gifts that you have, with the experiences that you have, you can be significant in the lives of others and in the mission of the church, and you can help bring purity and maturity to the church that is often so imperfect. I have this core belief that I've given my life for, and that is the reality, the belief that I have that the local church is the hope of the world. And the reason why I believe that all the way down to my toes is because the hope of the the church is, is the one organization out there that is is constantly preaching heart transformation. We preach the gospel, and the gospel is not just about behavior modification. It's not just about adding law or taking away law, but the gospel is about the power to change the human heart. And whenever the human heart changes, that's when relationships are healed. When the human heart changes, that's when marriages grow stronger. When the human heart changes, that's when children grow up in homes where mamas and dads love each other and teach them right from wrong and instill within them values that will take them through life. When the heart begins to change, that's when communities change. Uh, I'm all for education and and helping people uh, health-wise and and trying to to be involved in your your community politics and things like that. That's good if, if that's where God has called you, but I have this firm belief that the greatest lasting change occurs when the human heart is transformed. And the one thing that has the power to transform the human heart is the gospel. And that's why the local church is so important. Well, Paul continues in verse 6. According to the grace given to us. So this is something that God has brought to us through his grace. We have different gifts. And then he identifies some gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service. If teaching, and teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. So just as I talked about earlier in the sermon that we have different personality types, God has also given us different spiritual gifts. And right here, Paul identifies seven. Now, there are more spiritual gifts that are identified in the New Testament, but let's drill down on these seven spiritual gifts that Paul identifies here. He says, some of you are prophets. Now you know who the prophets are in the church because when they talk, they normally begin their sentences with, "'Thus saith the Lord.'" The prophets tend to be a little bit more black and white in their thinking uh, because one of the gifts that they bring to the church is they help call people out of darkness into light. And they remind us that there are certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong and, and that we do not need to abide in darkness, but we need to run towards the light. And when we refuse to do that, there are consequences. Well, then Paul also says there's some that have the spiritual gift of service. Now, those that have that gift are often doing whatever needs to be done. Frequently, the things that they do are behind the scenes. Nobody really knows about it. They just go and and meet needs. They see somebody that's hurting. They see something that can be done. And through their gift of service, they just want to get involved and, and try to make a difference. And then in the church, there's some that have the gift of teaching. Those that have the gift of teaching love to break down the Scriptures. They love to explain things to you, and they want to make sure that you understand what the Bible says, and they want to make sure that you think through and understand your theology. You ask them a theological question, you might be there a while, okay? Because they want to break it down. They want to explain it to you, and they want to help you learn how not just to know what it says, but to apply it to your life because God has given them this gift of teaching, And then he speaks of those that have the gift of exhortation. Those that come alongside us and encourage us. Look back over your Christian life. Has there ever been anybody encourage you? Just be an encourager. And say, you know what? I I believe in you. God's got something for you. And maybe you're down one day and they come up and pat you on the back and say, how you doing? And they're praying for you and they send you a card and they try to motivate you and encourage you. Not only do they encourage you, but they also inspire you. To do more. That's a spiritual gift called exhortation. And then he talks about those that have the gift of giving. And certainly the scriptures talk about each of us should be faithful in giving back to the Lord. But I've noticed over the years in church that there are some that just have this gift to give. And, and the Lord also often blesses them in, in unique ways. And, and out of their generosity, they give abundantly. And they have this drive to see the ministries of God resourced. And they often have a, a basic, genuine desire to see the ministers of God cared for. And they they give generously so that the church can fulfill its mission. And they give generously so that mission activity can go on uh, around the world. It's a spiritual gift of giving. And then Paul speaks of those that have the gift of leadership, those that can see the big picture, and they're able to understand, okay, this is what God is doing, and this is where we need to plant a new church, and we need missionaries over here, and within the local church, all right, this is an age group that we need new life groups for, and this is a parking lot that needs to be repaired, and this is, this is, this is a need here, and, and through their gift of leadership, they're able to help navigate and, and move the church in a strategic fashion, and then there's those, Paul says, that have the gift of mercy. There is just something that God has given you where you care about those who are hurting. You care about those who might be on the fringe. A lot of our missionaries have the gift of mercy. And you just genuinely care about those that others may overlook. My oldest sister Debbie has the gift of mercy. Whenever I was a single guy, I I was a youth minister. And since I didn't have a wife, she kind of filled the role of the wife. And I remember often her gift of mercy would just pour out. We had some rough kids. And so we'd be sitting there, and and, and she'd be watching one of our students, and she'd say, you know, he's such a good boy. And I'd be like, Debbie, he's being arrested right now. (laughs) But he's got such a good heart. He just stole your car, Debbie. He's just misunderstood. He just needs somebody to care for him. Yeah, he's headed to jail, Debbie. You know. But but she just had that gift of mercy, and it was something that I would never want her to lose because it was something that God had given her to, to use for, for his glory. Now, when God gives you a gift, and as a believer, everybody has some type of spiritual gift, and you may still be discovering what that gift is, but you have a gift, and remember, number one, it comes from God. Number two, It's designed to build up the church. It's not about just building up you. God gives us spiritual gifts to be used in community, to be used in the context of His church. And number three, our gifts are given to us to bring glory to Him, not to ourselves. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others and bring glory to Him. It is 2015. I personally cannot believe that 2014 is already over. Let me ask you this question. What is the most memorable thing that happened to you in 2014? Now, for some of you, 2014 may have been a a fairly mundane year and there wasn't anything majorly significant. For others of you, 2014 may have been a, a really big year. Maybe you found out you were having a second child in 2014, maybe you, uh, I think of Brian and Karen Leonard, who made a commitment to be missionaries for Josh McDowell Ministries in 2014, maybe you came to this church in 2014, Uh, you had something really memorable take place. And as I took inventory of last year, I began thinking about all the memories that are being made right here at this place called church lifelong memories being made a few weeks ago before old town Christmas we asked you after church one day to stack the chairs and you guys were good uh, you guys got those chairs stacked and got them all pushed to the side and you know it was neat to watch watch you guys just in action and then we were very very grateful that those of you that had small children went and got them we always appreciate you claiming your children that was a good good thing <laughs> And so I was I was watching that day uh, a lot of our parents of preschoolers are in this service. And so I was watching that day because you guys came back in here and you were talking and the kids just started having a ball because none of the chairs were in the way. So they were just like playing and running and having a good time and going crazy and and uh, you know I remember seeing uh, uh Corbin was playing and Grant was having a good time and uh uh, Jackson, we had to rescue him off the big chairs. And I think Jackson Dodd was, was running around that day too, wasn't he? And uh, I remember Jackson because Jackson was born on the same day down the hall from my daughter. And uh, he was born there at the same, same hall. And I didn't really know you guys that day, but Cindy is his aunt. And so I wound up getting to pray for Jackson on the day that he was born. And then I look around and I see these kids running around the church here. And I'm like, you kids, stop. No, that's not what I said. I just saw them all running around, and I thought, how awesome is this? They're making lifelong friends. They're they're making memories. They're enjoying themselves. Families are living life together. This is church. We're helping one another. We're encouraging one another. This is what it's supposed to be. Stacy and I came across a video the other day. Uh, It was whenever we were announcing whether or not Bennett was going to be a boy or a girl. And Robert Gifford had put this video up on the screen for us. And it was like, do you think it's a girl? Do you think it's a boy? And we were trying to get everybody to vote boy or girl and all this. And so Stacy was back there uh, where Robert's sitting uh, with, with her phone filming it all. And sitting in front of her was David Bouchard. And and David kind of kept turning back to the video going, which one's it going to be? Go ahead and tell me. And she was like, no, you got to wait. And David kept interacting with the video and, and through the whole thing. Well, uh, a couple months after that video was taken, David passed away. And he he went to be with our Lord. I miss him. He's a good guy, real good guy. You want to know what a father's supposed to be like, what a man's supposed to be like. He He was one of those guys... That you could go to and you could see this is what a godly man is like. I I miss him. And yet at the same time I realize that this is what church is. We, We sometimes say goodbye but we have a hope that we'll see one another again. And we walk with people when they're grieving and we try to encourage folks and care for them. Even though we can't say anything to take away the pain we can at least be there. And go through it together and cry with them pray for them. That's church. That, that's the lifelong memories, the eternal memories that we're building here. Do you, do you remember uh, the crawfish boil last year? That was fun watching Texans try to eat crawfish. Our 4th of July when we watched fireworks together or the day we did the Texas barbecue. you drove up on the campus and the whole campus smelled like brisket. It was a bad day for vegetarianism that day. But it was a good day for meat lovers. It was fun. The thing that I love the most about being a pastor is I love watching people grow in their faith. I love opening the Word of God, working through a section of Scripture, letting it beat us up sometimes. And I love watching people take those steps towards maturity. A a close second for me is I love it when people begin to discover that God has blessed them with a gift. And they start using that gift in ministry. And so today, a very simple message. But I just want to take a moment to say to you thank you. I want to say thank you to those in the church that are prophets. I want to thank you for being bold. I want to thank you for reminding us of what God has said. I want to thank you for reminding us that there is such thing as right and there is such thing as wrong. I want to thank you to those of you that are servants for all the little things that you do, those things that others do not see, but you see them and you meet the need. Thank you. I want to say thank you to teachers who open up the scriptures and try to explain them so that we can understand them better. Those that teach children, those that invest in the lives of little ones and try to build a foundation in their life that will endure. I want to say thank you to the encourage to the encouragers, the exhorters. Those that come alongside and just say you can do it. I appreciate that. Those that motivate us and inspire us to do more and to be stronger in our faith. I want to say thank you to the givers. Those that give generously and from your heart because you don't want God's ministries to ever be underfunded. I want to say thank you to those that support my own family and help us have uh, the needs of life. I want to say thank you to the leaders in our church, those that are able to see the big picture, those that are able to understand uh, that we need to help new churches get planted and missionaries go forth, and those that are able to help us navigate the various challenges that we face along the way. And I want to say thank you to the mercy givers, those individuals that have a big heart for people, that constantly remind us, hey, you got to care about folks. There's people that are hurting those that bring those opportunities to us that get us beyond our comfort zones that say, hey, why don't we go feed people at church under the tree? Or why don't we gather shoes for orphans that do not have shoes on their feet and remind us to be a caring, loving church? I want to say thank you to you this morning. And I also want to encourage you to use the gift that God has given you, whatever that might be, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert Whether you're a new Christian or whether you've been in church all your life, use the gift or gifts that God has given you in a way that brings glory to Him, builds up His church, and encourages other people. Because the gift that God has given you needs to be opened. So one takeaway, just one takeaway today. We are many parts, but one body. And we're all in this together. This is our church. Amen. Let's stand together. The band's going to come and lead us in some singing. I'll be here at the front if there's anything that I can pray with you about. It's always my joy to pray with you. I encourage you to sing. If you need to take a moment to write down some thoughts, feel free to do so. If you want to pray about something or for someone, feel free to go and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this church, and Lord, I pray that We might love one another. I pray that we will love you. And that we'll love others. I thank you Lord for the. For the sweet spirit that's here. How enjoyable it is to be a part. Of what's happening here. And I pray that you'll protect that. I pray Lord that we will enjoy that. For many many years. I pray Lord that you will help us to realize those moments when we get caught in pride and we threaten to tear apart the joy of your family. Father, I also pray for marriages and families that are represented here. I pray that we might be able to appreciate one another's differences and realize, Lord, that as a family you bring us together to complement one another. And that together we can do more for you than we can do alone. So help us, Lord, to love with a big love. Help us, Lord, to abide in your grace. To embrace your forgiveness. And to seek our identity in you. May we walk this journey together, encouraging one another, helping one another. When words escape us and we don't know what to say and we can't make everything better. Help us to be there. In Jesus' name, amen.